live from the mist and shrouded mountaintop fortress that is X and Y Communications Headquarters. You are listening to the world-famous Chick Whisperer Podcast. And now, here's your host, Scott McKay. Here we are again with another episode of the world-famous Chick Whisperer Podcast. My name is Scott McKay coming at you from sunny San Antonio, Texas. With me today is a new friend of mine. She lives in New York City. She's always lived in or around New York City for her whole life. So you can basically guess she's going to know New York and the dating scene there really well, especially considering she's a dating and relationship consultant and a matchmaker. Her name is Rachel Russo. Rachel, welcome. Hi, Scott. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, you know, you and I met each other recently at a conference, and uh, you're sharp. You have lots of customers. People love you immediately when they meet you. So I knew with a measure of certainty that we should have you on the show and talk about the topic du jour, which is the differences between meeting women, relating to women, dating women in a huge metropolis, or let's just say a large city like New York versus suburbia and in rural areas. I mean, there are a lot of differences, aren't there? Yes. And first, thank you for that compliment. It's very sweet. And I love talking about this topic. It's something I'm comfortable with. I've experienced it. I always say I live, breathe, eat, and sleep dating in New York City. So I hope this will be an insightful show. I certainly have a lot to offer here on this topic. Oh, I know you do. And I have to say, pretty much the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of people when they think of dating in New York City now I'm assuming people aren't from New York City who are thinking this, is what they've seen in shows like Sex in the City and probably half the romantic comedies, chick flicks or whatever that have ever been produced take place in New York. So we have a mental image of what's going on in the New York dating scene. And I'm wondering what you think about the reality of dating in New York versus maybe what people who've been watching it on TV and movies tend to think about it. Well, it's so funny. I think in general, people have misconceptions about New York City life. When they're coming from somewhere and they're visiting, they just tend to go to Times Square or Rockefeller Center or all of these tourist attractions. And they think that encompasses all of New York City, just this big lights and that's all it is. But really, that's just a part of Manhattan. And there's five boroughs of New York City. And then there's this kind of outer tri-state area the sort of suburbs, so to speak, of New Jersey or Connecticut. So you have all these people living in all these places, and they're all defining themselves as New Yorkers. So I think it's important to clarify that. It's not all just what you see on TV in these big movies. And the dating scene is certainly not just sex in the city. Yes, there are very expensive cocktails in this city. (laughs) And men do have to shell out a lot of money, probably on average $18, $19 for just a glass of wine, a house wine wine at an upscale or just even a regular bar in Manhattan at times. So there, there is this idea that New York City is a big party and there's everyone is dating and everyone is living this sex in the city lifestyle, but it's really not like that. And there's actually people that are struggling to get into relationships. They might have the volume, they might have people that are interested in going out, but they're not all taking them to these fancy places. And they're certainly not all interested in relationships. Are people different there? Is it true that most people are more outgoing there? The men are more aggressive on dates. The women are more aggressively asking the qualifying questions. One thing I've heard you say, Rachel, is that women tend to kind of identify with their masculine side a little bit more in New York City. Is that kind of them being in survival mode? What's the real state of affairs in terms of personality types, I guess is what I'm asking, in New York City relative to what you might see elsewhere in the world? That is absolutely true when you say survival, Scott. I think that everyday life in New York City is pretty stressful, perhaps more than almost any other city, I would say, in the U.S., from my experience. And everything is a struggle. I mean, sometimes just to get to your office, 
you have to go through subways that are crowded and hot and people are literally in your face and you're, you're hungry. <laughs> and then you have to go wait online to get food just to make it to get your coffee. And then you have to take an elevator or stairs up so many flights and deal with all these people and you're passing thousands of people. This is before you even start your day for the average worker. And then yes, the personality types in New York are very aggressive, the men and the women. They're alpha males, they're alpha females. They are people that have come here because they want to be on the top of their game career-wise. And so they're very ambitious and they're very competitive. And those are the people that are going to last in New York. I have to say, I've seen people, some girls, I always talk about this one that I went to grad school with. She was such a sweetheart. She was from Iowa. I just knew in my heart, this girl is not going to make it here. There's no way. And sure enough, within a year, she got caught up in kind of the wrong scene and the social life and the clubs and the distraction. And she couldn't focus on work because there's so much in New York. If you are here, there's an event going on, millions of events. Every night of the week, it's always someone's birthday. Someone always wants to go out for a drink. So if you're not laser focused on your work game, you will get distracted. So you have this element of these people that are so focused and it makes dating kind of a challenge because for the most part, they are putting work first and they don't want to be bothered wasting their time with people who they don't think are qualified to even be on the date with them. So you talk about the interrogation and that's what happens. You have women that are going on a date and they have 20 questions and they have their checklist and they want to kind of go through and make sure the guy fits everything before they'll even stay for dinner. You know, that's funny you should mention that because literally every guy I coach who is a man of, you know, somewhat a man of means in New York City is getting that line of questioning almost robotically on first dates. And they're all completely nonplussed and it's causing them a lot of consternation. What came to mind, of course, is the Frank Sinatra song about New York that says it's a city that never sleeps. And if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And I think that kind of sums up what you're saying about how people feel about being in New York and, you know, the priorities they have in their life once they're there. It's true. I think that sums it up excellently. There's always another opportunity and people are always looking for something like that to advance their career if they're true New Yorkers. So the relationships sometimes do take a backseat until people start to realize like, wow, this is actually what's going to ha- make me happy. My, my job is not going to keep me warm at night. I actually want to build a relationship. I want to find someone. And then I think what's going on with these women that your clients are going out with, they're getting to the age where it's getting serious. Their biological clocks are ticking. They're, they don't want to be alone anymore. They're not fulfilled in the career. So now there's high stakes with dating. So that's where you see the woman that comes in and starts asking these men these questions they should probably never even be talking about on a first date. I mean, we can, we can uh, argue, maybe people debate on that, but they're asking, do you want to have children? When do you want to get married? What's your five-year plan? I mean, these are questions that at least guys are telling me they're turned off. They want to get to know you. They want to see how it is. Is it lighthearted? Is it fun? And they're, they're getting interviewed, basically. <laughs> it's not going to be lighthearted and fun anytime there's this machine gun, Gatling gun line of questioning going on. It's funny because I can just imagine, you said something about high stakes. I can imagine everybody being inside their own head and not even noticing who's across the table from them. Are they feeling comfortable? Are they at ease? It's more like, okay, I've got to get my questions done. I've got to look all buttoned up and stylish and they can't see me sweat. It's almost like it's a competition to look better at that table while a man and woman are meeting each other. And that almost never ends well. I always tell guys, look, if you feel like the stakes are really high when you're on a date with a woman or even if you're just meeting her for the first time, chances go through the roof that it's not going to end well for you. It's like going on a job interview when you're desperate for work because they're going to repo your house versus going on a job interview when you're already gainfully employed with a competitor and they're trying to steal you from them. It's a completely different vibe. What I seem to discover when I talk to people who are dating and relating to members of the other gender in New York, be they men or women, is that it is high stress, high stakes all the time, and they almost forget to relate to each other. 
That's completely true. People really can't be their authentic selves if they're under such pressure. And I see it for both genders, but I actually see more pressure for women on those first dates because they feel like the power is in the hands of the guy. The guy is the one, presumably, who would be asking them out again on a second date. And the way that the dating scene is now and the way that the ratios, yes, I will talk math. (laughs) I just met um, an author of a book who studied this. The ratio are very lopsided and they're very much in favor of the men because there's so many more women than men in New York City. So these women feel if I don't make the best first impression, if I don't look my best, he's just going to go on Tinder and swipe like literally right after our date, maybe even during our date in the bathroom that has been done and he's going to find someone else. So they feel that they have to really stand out. And sometimes this backfires because they're just trying too hard. They're trying too hard thinking about themselves and not getting to know the other person. What an interesting revelation coming from a woman that you would say that the women feel like the men have the power. Mm-hmm. Because what I've noticed since we coach men and women is whoever isn't in control of their dating life, of their sex life, believes the other gender has all the power. Mm, Okay. I have to say, I am speaking for the majority of New York single women. They all feel like the men have the power. Well, and for sure, that would be an accurate statement because I believe the vast majority of everybody believes the other gender has all the power. Mm -hmm. And I believe this is something that probably transcends the locality. In other words, urban, rural, suburban, doesn't matter. If I talk to a man who's not going on a lot of dates and he doesn't believe he can get the kind of women he wants, he'll say, you know, these women can sit up there and accept or reject us all day long and they can go have sex anytime they want because women are women and men are just dogs and we want to have sex. They can go to a club and pick and choose who they're going to go home with that night. But see, that's a man thinking like a man, not like a woman. Mm, Meanwhile, all the women on the other side who aren't getting asked out enough, if at all, are saying to themselves, you know, men have all the power because it's still considered socially crass for a woman to go and impose himself on a man and kind of hijack that masculine role of leadership and ask them out. So we're all sitting around waiting for a guy to ask us out. And we're kind of dead in the water until that happens. And then men, of course, you know, they're not the ones getting pregnant, so they can have sex and not worry about it. And, you know, relatively speaking, you know, obviously there's still STDs and everything else. But this is what women are thinking. But the truth of the matter is, whether male or female, if we're not enjoying the dating success, if we're not enjoying the social popularity, if you will, with the other gender that we would like to be enjoying, what we're doing is we're measuring our level against the people we find desirable of that other gender. So men aren't looking at the women who are not popular with them because, of course, those women, for better or worse, are rather invisible to men, which is why they have their own respective problem on the other side of the ledger. All of these guys who aren't succeeding with women yet are looking at the hotties, the women who can go out on five dates a day if they really want to, because everybody wants them and saying, yeah, those women have all the power. And they would be right because those women are in control of their dating lives. They are able to say, hey, you know, I do want to go out with this guy. I don't want to go out with this other guy. But there are also men out there who are very skilled with women. They've got the charm down. They've got uh, what I call the big four down. They're masculine as women define it. They have confidence. They can make a woman feel safe and comfortable, and they're men of character. And those guys can be dating four or five women at once because they have the moxie to ask those women out and the attractiveness to make sure those women say yes. And they would say, yeah, it's great to be a guy. I get to ask all these women out, and they all tend to say yes, and life is good. But I think really it comes back down to how am I doing with the other gender and how are they receiving me? And that's when we start thinking, hey, they have all the power or I have all the power. And I would agree with you 100%, Rachel, that about 90 to 95% of people of either gender think the other gender has all the power. Yes. So many excellent points that you have there. And I could really see how people's ideas of gender and the gender roles in dating really could confine them and and just harm them in some ways because they don't feel they can act the way that they want to, that they have to wait or that they can't compete and that kind of thing. You see a lot of this playing out and it's tough to watch. It really is. So do you think in a city like New York, women are more assertive about asking guys out than they would be elsewhere? Have they figured out that's okay? Or are men still kind of standoffish about that so they're avoiding it? How does that dynamic go? 
most women in New York City that are looking to date the type of man that you described, who I would probably say a lot of times is an alpha male, although there's certainly men that are beta males that have these qualities that you're describing. But a lot of these women are wanting these alpha males. And they get the message that they should not be asking the alpha males out, that they should wait and that men like to pursue and that if a man wants you, he will chase you and you should not go for him first. So even though these women, many of them being alpha females themselves, and I know you agree with this, I often think like attracts like. So I actually think they are a good match for the alpha males, although some can butt heads. It gets complicated. But let's say there's two people, both alphas. The woman, although she's so alpha in her career, and when she meets someone, say, uh, say at a networking event or something in New York, the next day, what would she do? She would get his or her card and follow up and contact them about anything, about a strategic partnership, whatever, for business. If it was a situation that she was actually romantically interested in the guy, she has been socialized in New York City to get the message that that's not okay, that she should not follow up for dating, and that the man should contact her. So on one hand, she's empowered in career, but when it comes to love, she is not, and she's waiting. One thing you mentioned there is that like attracts like, which I do agree with, And that an alpha male will be attracted to an alpha female. That may be a New York thing or a big city thing more than a thing elsewhere. Because as I talk to guys in suburban places or even further afield, if they're guys who are successful and powerful socially, they like a woman who isn't a slouch herself, but they like a woman who's going to be a little bit in awe of him in terms of intelligence, career path. They don't want to go toe-to-toe with a woman usually, although there are exceptions. I yes, will allow for that. I totally agree with that. And I should add, a lot of the clients that I work with in a matchmaking context in New York City, they're typically men that are my clients, and they're very successful, very powerful guys, and often alpha males. And a lot of them do not want people that are women that are going to be alpha females that are going to be too aggressive and the butting heads. A lot of them actually do prefer someone who maybe has a more flexible career and lifestyle so she could travel with them, someone a little softer because it's exactly that. They want to be able to impress a woman and show her things and take her places that she's never been. And if it's an alpha female who's been there and done that and seen that all, well, then she's not going to be in awe of him. So I think they are kind of turned on by having that ability to be like the leader and in that masculine role. So so that does exist in New York. But then I also do see a lot of people that want this power couple dynamic and the alpha men do want alpha females. Yep. Yep. I think it can go both ways. I'm fascinated to ask you this question. Are there women in New York City who are looking forward to meeting a great man and then becoming a stay-at-home mom and raising the kids? Because you see that a lot in rural areas and in suburban areas where the woman has a great job, she's happy about her career, but once she meets the right man and he's doing okay financially, she realizes, hey, you know, I could be a stay-at-home mom and maybe run social clubs or have a job where it isn't so high pressure for me and the family isn't depending on it. Does that exist at all? Totally. That does exist. Let me tell you guys a little secret. Women are tired. (laughs) We are. We love our careers, but we're working hard. We're acting like men out there in the workforce. We're competing. We are secretly waiting for the guy to come and sweep us off our feet and be like, you can work if you want to. You don't have to. It could be more part-time. You could do charity or volunteer work. We want to hear that. Even when we're well-educated and we have strong careers, We're doing this throughout our 20s and parts of our 30s, but women want to settle down when they want to have kids. Plenty of them are fine to be stay-at-home moms. A lot of the women that come to me to be matched up, I ask them, would you relocate? Would you work part-time? Would you give up your career? And a lot of them actually say that they would. They're happy to. And these are like high-level executives and women who've been doing this a long time that say, maybe I'd work in some capacity, but I'm totally fine like just kind of chilling and (laughs) being a stay-at-home mom for a while. And men are looking for that too, even in New York? I think men are looking for that if they are like the top earners. If they plan on living in Manhattan, they need to be making a lot of money because the cost of living is so high here. So if they have the money, sure, they're happy to have a woman that isn't going to work. There are men that are wealthy that want a woman to work a little bit at some point. 
you know, throughout the marriage or the time that they're raising children, just because they want her to have her own interests and outside life. And they want her to be able to kind of contribute to the conversation and sometimes to financial things. Um, certainly at like a lower income bracket, I think it's just unreasonable for men, a lot of men out there to think that they can live in Manhattan and send their kids to private schools and have that whole lifestyle. If that's their version of the American dream, then they actually require two incomes if they're going to stay here. So there's men that are open to that as well. It goes both ways. How many people in New York do you think are really trying to escape that lifestyle compared to how many people just dream of staying there and they're perfectly okay with it? Because it sounds like there may be a bit of a dichotomous viewpoint somewhere for a few people. There's totally a dichotomous viewpoint. And I will tell you, myself included, <laughs> a little kind of uh, reveal here, I'm happy to disclose, I would be in that category where I would be happy to relocate for an amazing guy. I'm single right now, and I just feel like there's things that appeal to me about raising children in a suburb or, or anywhere other than New York City, actually. I would say that even though I'm here, I have a love-hate relationship with New York City. And I find that most New Yorkers um, that have been here a long time and were transplants from somewhere else actually have that same relationship. It's like we're all kind of walking around like a little bit miserable. <laughs> we're neurotic. We really are because life is so stressful. So people kind of do dream of like greener pastures and just kind of being out of what we call the concrete jungle. Rachel, when you travel and you go to a hotel room, if the hotel room is dead silent, can you sleep? I am a little freaked out by that. <laughs> I will admit. And I'm also terrified of deer. And just when I go back to visit my family in New Jersey, I'm like, wow, there's stars. Like you don't see those things when you're so in the yeah. city life. And I, um, I recently moved uh, in the last two years, I moved from Manhattan to Brooklyn, which is still very like New York city urban for sure. sure. But it is a little quieter than where I used to live on the upper East side where there were constantly trucks from the FDR. And I do get a better sleep, but the total quiet actually scares me. So that would be an adjustment if I decide to move back to right. the suburbs. <laughs> I love how you characterize Brooklyn as quieter. You must be a New Yorker. I guess I mean, Staten so. Island is like, you know, farmland. <laughs> oh, it totally is actually. Staten Island. <laughs> so that's an interesting thing about New York City too. People don't want to date in the other boroughs at times. Brooklyn, okay. Queens, if it's not too far, but no one wants to go to Staten Island when they live in Manhattan. It's uh, There's rare gems that will do it. And maybe these are people that realize that, you know, your match could be outside of a five block radius, but for the most part, no one's going to Staten Island for dating. Well, it takes an hour or so just to get there on the subway. Yes. And it's not a fun commute, especially in this hot no. summer uh -huh. weather. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. Now, this is obviously a very fun conversation. I laughed out loud when you talked about being afraid of deer because we have deer in our front yard. I, mean, oh, I, had, to shoo, I had to shoo a buck off of my front porch the other day when I came home with groceries. I was like, get off my front porch. And the thing looks at me like your dog would look at you and kind of Aww. goes, oh, all right, and walks away. And this is a buck. I mean, you know. And I guess the second level of why I'm laughing is because I live in town, quote unquote. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. I'm still in the city limits and I'm chasing deer off my front porch. That's so funny. Wow. I know they're gentle animals. I just had a horror story with deer once. <laughs> so that's where it comes from. Yeah, well, fair enough. Uh, but, you know, we have them eating our bushes and we have to spray our bushes with anti-deer stuff. Not to kill them, but just to make the uh, bushes less delicious to them. So, yeah, it's funny because I consider us to be living in the city. Wow. But you would think, my gosh, you guys are out in, you know, BFE. Wow. Well, if I come to Texas, I'll have to visit you and tell you what I think of your version of the city. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you would have a few opinions. Yeah. Uh, San Antonio is a very different place in New York. We personally love it, of course. Yeah. One thing you mentioned a few minutes ago that I don't want to let go undiscussed is this whole idea of in a city of 15, 20 million people, however they're measuring the greater New York population these days. It's many millions. It's tens of millions. There are people out there who can't wrap their head around the social life there. There are people, dare I say, who are lonely in the midst of millions of people. How does that work, Rachel? How does that happen for people? Is it just a matter of being introverted or shy or being a fish out of water? What is it? I mean, some people may be shy, but I think a lot of people that are feeling this loneliness are actually quite extroverted. And what goes on here, which probably a lot of a lot of people in New York, as well as dating and relationship experts, would probably say when people ask what is the problem with dating in New York or any big city, 
they say it's the paradox of choice. All of these options that we have and all of these options are more and more because of those dating apps and online dating sites. It's like a blessing and a curse. So we have these more options. It's easier than ever to go on a date, but people are lonely because they're going on these dates and they're having very superficial connections, very superficial right. conversations. They're not relating to each other human to human. There's not sparks flying on a lot of these dates and it feels very discouraging and isolating and you know even with all these millions of people when you feel alone like you don't connect with anyone that's really difficult and it's it makes it harder to go back out there again because you're not satisfied by this dating process of option after option and just sort of feeling like wow the grass is greener somewhere else am I going to find someone more perfect or are they going to find someone who's more perfect than me and I'm not even going to get a chance I'm never going to hear from them again kind of thing that's that's what happens here and in other places I imagine that you do hear from the person again just because even for the sole fact that there's like less options they might go out with you again if the date was just so so but in New York unless the date was fireworks they might not go out with you again so many people, so little time, therefore, so little real connection. Yes. I think what you're saying is especially fascinating to people who are living outside of a metropolis because the light bulb just went on, even for me. The more extroverted I am, if I am a little overwhelmed by the New York City lifestyle or I really want a connection, I'm more frustrated because I'm extroverted. Because yes. this should be easy. This should be something that's happening for me, yet... I agree with you. Connecting with people is less likely nowadays because relationships have just become a throwaway because of social media, because of Tinder, dating apps. You know, you can swipe right on people, swipe left on them, and it doesn't even feel like you're dealing with human beings. It feels like you're dealing with, like you said, options. Yes. One of the things that I've always found irksome, even when I was in the corporate world, was when these high-powered, egotistical executives would refer to their coworkers and colleagues as resources. Mm. And I always would think to myself, they're not resources, they're human beings. That's right. You know what I mean? Exactly. At just the human level, it was bothersome to me. You know what I mean? And I think we think of potential dating partners, potential sex partners, maybe even people I could theoretically get married to and live happily ever after with as resources until proven different. Right. Well, I have a little story for you about that, that resources kind of hit home for me. And about five, six years ago, I was contacted to do a reality dating blog. And it's actually very New York centric, but it was an international reality blog. And there were four women in four different cities that were going to go on an obscene number of dates in one year and blog about them. And I was selected to be Miss New York. And I had to go on 92 dates in one year. And I had to blog about them. And I had never dated so much in my life. I was in relationships previously. And, you know, I was. You're a slacker, Rachel. I was young. <laughs> I was You're a slacker. slacker. 92 dates in one year. I mean, what are you thinking? Emily was doing like three or four dates a day when she was online. I mean, well, that's easy. It's tough. I mean, there's quotas. Keep it moving. <laughs> I'm being facetious, obviously. Yeah. Emily was doing three dates a day when she got on Match.com, but importantly, she was only on Match.com for three weeks. Right. Wow. Good yeah. for her. So she yeah, 92 was- dates. Yeah. 92 dates in a year in New York City is exhausting, I'm sure. It was so exhausting. So now when you said resources, I thought of the word subjects because people say to me, wow, you went on 92 dates in one year how did you not end up in a relationship? I don't understand. And you should have met someone and this and that. Well, first of all, I say a couple things. First of all, I wasn't entirely over my ex. So all the dates in the world will not get you into a relationship if you're still holding on to your past. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Second of all, I was pretty young. I was only 27 years old. So I was having fun. And I think third of all, and this is the resources part, I started taking the process as something, of course, not seriously when I had all these dates, but it became more exciting to me to think of these guys that I went out with as subjects who I was going to come home and write about. And I'm a writer and that's my passion. I love to write about dating and relationships, but I became more excited to go home and analyze and write about the date than actually be on the date. So that's a problem of serial dating. And it's a problem when you're kind of like dehumanizing people. And that's exactly what's going on today with these dating apps. People are just disposable. Well, you can imagine how I used to feel when the pickup artist guys would call women targets and groups of women sets. Uh, you know, it was just, oh, uh, it'd make my skin crawl. It's like, what is this, archery or surfing? I mean, you know, they're women. They're human beings. This isn't some kind of sport. This is 
trying to find people you connect with, right? For sure. So we've been talking a lot about New York, and I want to clarify something for those guys who aren't living in big cities. I've traveled a lot, as you have, Rachel. And I've also talked to a lot of guys who live in cities like Singa and London and, God forbid, Los Angeles and even Chicago, Miami. And what you're talking about there in terms of the overwhelm of choice and the speed of life and the stress associated with everything and just the type A lifestyle associated with those cities – happens a lot across the board in all of those urban environments. So what we're talking about is not necessarily a west of the Hudson versus east of the Hudson mentality. This is something that's going on in a lot of other places too, especially the big cities. And obviously the Los Angeles vibe is different, but I think the end result in terms of dating a lot of people, lots of options, uh, the rise of dating apps has had a very similar result, wouldn't you say? I totally agree. I laughed when you said, God forbid, Los Angeles, because that's exactly how I feel. If there's, <laughs> if there's any place worse than dating in New York, it's dating in Los Angeles. <laughs> and I can be quoted on that one. Um, but this is happening everywhere in big cities. That's just kind of the mentality. I saw a t-shirt one time and it was called How Texans Think and you know, it had a whole list of pictures below it. And heaven had Texas beside it and hell had California. Wow. Wow. Isn't that funny? I just thought that was funny. There is a resistance to this mentality of the serial dating that we are seeing. And I think as evidence, I don't know if you've ever seen this show. I'm a little obsessed with it. Uh, It's called Married at First Sight on A&E and um, FYI Network. And people are agreeing to marry a stranger at the altar. And that seems insane to a lot. But in a lot of cultures, arranged marriages work. And I think the reason they work is because you are stuck with this option. (laughs) This is your only option. It's not even an option. This is what it is. And you have to do what you can to be happy and make it work. So there's something to be said for that. I'm not saying you have to marry a stranger or that you should only date one person. It's very valuable to have dating experience so you see what you like and don't. But you don't really need that much dating experience. I think that you can go out with a few people when you're really relationship ready and then just choose the person that makes the most sense for you that you kind of have that spark with and then settle down because the truth is everyone is going to have issues and there's going to always be relationship challenges. So it doesn't matter. You're going to get some baggage however you look at it. Well, that sounds almost like the idea of instead of looking for Mr. Perfect, look for Mr. Good Enough which I might be on the fence about personally. So Mm -hmm. clarify that a little bit more. I mean, if you find the biological clock is ticking, should you just marry the first guy you could theoretically get along with? Or how picky should you be, Rachel? Well, I think it depends on your your standards of what you want for your marriage. For me personally, I would never be able to do that because I really value being in love and I want romance and I want someone that I'm just wildly attracted to and passionate about for like hopefully the rest of my life. So if you're in that school of thought, then you can't just marry someone that you get along with because then it becomes more of like a business partnership. And in a lot of senses, marriage is a business partnership and you have to be able to get along. So you can't just go for someone that you have that wild chemistry and passion for and nothing else is compatible because that's going to be a challenge. So I think you have to find a little bit of both or then you're probably settling. This might also be a nice segue to talking more about dating and relating outside of major metropolises. Obviously, when you're out in a rural environment, there are going to be fewer options. I distinctly remember coaching a woman who lived in the panhandle of Oklahoma years ago. And I asked her where the nearest city was to her. And she says, well, it's about 15 miles away. And I said, well, what's the name of it? And I was typing it into Google as she was telling me. And it was a city of 3,000 people. Wow. A city. It was a small town. I go, that town only has about 3,000 people in it. She goes, well, you know, they have a grocery store and everything. I said, well, how close is the nearest decent size place where you could theoretically meet a guy? She goes, oh, that's about 40 miles away. And I looked it up, and it was a city of like 40,000. Wow. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So she lived like 120 miles away from, say, Amarillo, Texas. That was okay. the nearest decent metro area that she lived near. And she said that the town she lived in, had 140 people in it, and she had dated every eligible bachelor, and all four of them were not her cup of tea or something. Wow, that's tough. And I said, said, well, you're going to have to move if you want to find a guy 
who's going to float your boat? And she goes, well, I can't move. I said, well, why? She goes, well, because they need me at my job. I know the whole town. I feel comfortable here. I like it here. It's the lifestyle I know and love. And, you know, my employers would be lost without me. I go, well, then you've got to stay. She goes, Mm -hmm. but I want to meet the man of my dreams. I said, then move. (laughs) It seems obvious. She goes, but my town needs me. I go, then stay. (laughs) There was a pause. I said, do you see what we're getting at here? She goes, yeah, I got to, I got to give up something. You're either going to give up, you know, living the life you say you enjoy, or you're going to give up any real opportunity to meet the man of your dreams. Cause you can say, Hey, you know what? Prince Charming is going to come sweep me off my feet like a movie moment, but it's just not likely to happen in a town of 140 people. I think people need to be realistic. That's a great example of someone who has to really think about her priorities and figure out what is most important. Well, she did. Mm -hmm. She moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, which was the largest true metro area near to her. And she was engaged within a year. Oh, that's amazing. Happy ending story. Yeah. Well, see, she was really quite a wonderful woman. She was a real cat. She was just a real doll. And... I knew as soon as she had a situation where she would have men around her to choose from and who could choose her, that everything would work out well for her. But it's really a rough thing to be in a very, very rural area and expect to meet someone you're going to truly connect with. And I think based on my experience, Rachel, that's where we start finding people who are married because they felt like it was time to get married. And this was the person who accepted me. And I think people tend to settle quite a bit when there aren't a whole lot of options. I could definitely see that. And something else that comes to mind as you're talking about that is that this was a woman who was very stuck in her story. And it's interesting because we talk about places and I think people get very stuck in their stories. Like even me, you said, I'm a New Yorker. Yes, I am a New Yorker. But does that mean I can't live somewhere else, that I can't thrive somewhere else? No, absolutely not. But people take their location and it becomes their identity. And they might think, I'm a rural girl. You know, I grew up on a farm. How could I make it in the big city? Well, you'd be surprised at what you could do. Now, I'm not saying this is for everyone. (laughs) Uh, It's like Green Acres, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when push comes to shove and you're in love or you want to be in love, you do. You make compromises. And it's important, as I said, not to get stuck in that story because it's just a limiting belief. And interestingly enough, you were talking about how people view a marriage as a business relationship. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but think to myself, well, how New Yorkish of you. (laughs) (laughs) There is truth to that, obviously, but that's a very New Yorker way to put it. You know, you know it's, it's really funny. I think that we all need to travel and get out of our comfort zones. And as you said, we met at the Elite Man Conference. And I can't tell you how many of our colleagues there, all the other speakers, were saying to me, you're so New York. You're so New York. And I'm like, why? Why am I so New York? Not that I'm oblivious by any means to what a New Yorker is. But sometimes until you get out of there, you don't really recognize how ingrained you are in your city or your town. There used to be a woman who did dating coaching in New York City, and her name escapes me. But her whole branding mechanism was this idea of turning on your the cab light. Yeah. The yes. cab light. <laughs> Someone connected us cause we're dating coaches and this was like 10 years ago. I was thinking to myself, nobody outside of New York knows what the hell that means. Yeah. That's probably true. Like what in the world does that mean? I mean, I obviously come from the East coast originally. I've spent some time in New York, but the whole idea of even catching a cab and how to even hail a cab is probably something that 60 or 80% of the people in the country never have to do. That's true. And you don't have to do it in New York anymore either because we have Uber, we have Lyft, we have Get. (laughs) No problem. But yeah, I mean, even out in rural areas, people tend to think like rural people. Like, oh, I'm going to take her out to the dance. We're going to do some country music. Maybe we can go to church on Sunday and barbecue chicken afterwards, you know, stuff like that. At least that's how they would think here in Texas. And that's a wonderful lifestyle. But I mentioned earlier the whole irony of a show like Green Acres back in the 60s where you had one of the Gabor sisters, I think it was Zsa Zsa and Eddie Albert, and Eddie Albert was a farmer and Zsa Zsa was from New York. And the irony of her being this urbanite and he being this country guy just made for a lot of ironic humor, rapid fire, and made the show great. So I think it's a very real thing that people are in rural areas and absolutely just as immersed in their lifestyle as anyone from New York would be, yet they have fewer options. 
What I find people in rural areas tend to do, Rachel, is they look to that bigger city that's near them. Like I have a guy who's in Ohio and he lives probably about 40 minutes outside of of a major city there. And he started out getting online and writing to women in that major city. But see, those women in that major city have all the options. They have 10 guys within a mile of them who they could go out with. So it's harder for him to gain any traction with women who have all those options when he's 40 minutes away. No matter how great he is, why should a woman meet him halfway and go out of town when they don't even know anything about him but a picture and a profile yet? So what I told him and what I'll tell guys on this show right now if they live in rural areas is look to places further afield than you are. Sure, there'll be fewer women, but if there's another town 10 minutes away that has 5,000 people in it or whatever, there might be a gem of a woman there who has nobody to go out with, no options. So if you start adding up the cumulative effect of the little towns that are just a little bit further afield from you, certainly in an area that you know you could draw a circle around where you live and it's more like 10 miles away instead of 40 miles away to the next biggest city, I think perhaps ironically to a lot of daters out there, they will end up with more choice, more people to potentially connect with. That has proven itself out, that theory, over time. And I now actively teach that to everybody I coach who lives in a rural area. That's just so smart. I think that's really a great strategy that a a lot of guys and women should do as well. Now, let's talk about suburbia. Because suburbia is kind of caught in the middle. You're picturing a place where a lot of houses are in one place. It's a residential area. You have a strip mall on the corner with a grocery store in it. And people, for the most part, I've noticed, are very bored sitting at home watching everything on TV. But the suburban lifestyle is kind of like, in theory at least, the perfect storm to protect you from the troubles of life. Everything is prepackaged. You can go to the grocery store and get all your food. You can go out and eat at any restaurant you want, whatever kind of food you want tonight in most decent-sized suburban areas. And then you can tender people who live a mile or two away and pick them up at their apartment. It's a very safe, insulated lifestyle. And I think what tends to happen amongst people who are used to a suburban lifestyle is they don't take a whole lot of risks dating. In other words, well, I don't know. I want to talk to this guy on the phone about 40 times before I'm willing to meet with them in public. That kind of thing starts happening because people I've noticed who are used to a suburban lifestyle have been conditioned to think that boring and uneventful is actually a good thing. I definitely see that. I see the women in the suburbs of New York City exercising more caution with giving out their phone number or just meeting someone off of an online site. I also see that there is, I hate to say it like this, but I really see it. I see a lack of creativity with planning the dates from the guys who are in the suburbs. Um, I'm not to hate on Long Island. I love Long Island. But when these guys come in, they come in from the Long Island Railroad Penn Station so that they can go out and drink and not worry about driving. They don't want to park their car. They don't want a garage. And what they do is they actually pick bars and restaurants right near Penn Station. They literally don't even go further because they're not comfortable with it. And it, it just makes for kind of a boring date and, and just a boring lifestyle. I think they need to think outside the box. Well, the good news is for any guy who's listening to this who does live in suburbia, and a lot of guys do who are listening to this show, I know that for a fact. If you are willing to think outside the box and take a woman out on a nature hike or go mountain biking or take her to a more adventurous restaurant like an Ethiopian restaurant or something like that in town, you're going to find the women who share suburbia with you are going to be thrilled. They're going to think you're some kind of hero. And all you did was probably only take one step to the left or right from that straight line of suburban comfort zone, your familiarity zone. And I noticed that because I've lived most of my adult dating life in suburban places that women are coming home from work, sitting at home, watching their TV, waking up the next morning, doing the same thing, and maybe going like to a meetup group on Saturday morning and then doing their grocery shopping down the street. We never leave our neighborhoods because we never have to. And that safety and security. And of course, women are security seeking creatures. They love security. But when a man can come along, make her feel safe in his presence, and take her on any kind of adventure at all, it just thrills women. It makes them think, my gosh, this guy is my Prince Charming. He has swept me off my feet. He is a hero. 
It does. And women totally love that. They will bond with you over that new experience. And the other thing is a secret that's not so secret to me, but maybe to others. There are girls in the cities that would love a suburban man, not just for these new experiences, but because the attitude is a little different. It's not as pretentious and snooty as in the bigger cities. And the women, after having dated a lot of city guys who have tons and tons of options, they start to refer to them as douchey. I can say douchey, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. So and you'll get my full agreement, by the way. They're douchebags. And I know it because I've worked with some of them. I've dated some of them. And I actually thought outside the box, being someone who grew up in a suburb, which maybe Scott wouldn't consider a suburb outside of New York <laughs> City, but I do. Um, I thought, okay, maybe if I want a different type of guy who's more relationship oriented, a little more down to earth and genuine, maybe I need to go a little further. I could take a train. So, you know, my last boyfriend actually lived about an hour and a half outside of the city. And I I did notice some differences between him and the city guys, which I appreciated more. So there are women, especially I think women who grew up in the suburbs and moved to a city who wouldn't mind going back to that or dating someone who's a little more like the guys that they probably dated in their teenage years, actually. So think about that. You might be very valuable to those women. And I don't think that's gender specific either. I know guys in New York City who are trying to find women further afield. Yeah. For that reason. Yeah, yeah. Same reason. Same reason. They don't want the attitude or the, maybe they're the ones that are sick of the alpha female with the career and all the options and, and all of that. They want like a nice down home girl who's genuine down to earth, take her home to mom. Well, hey, let's hear it for suburbia in that regard, right? I mean, it may be boring and insulated, but it's kind of like the three bears story. Rural is too slow. High pressure urban is too hard, but suburbia is just right. You know, you have not a boring, what are we going to do next lifestyle where, you know, we're blowing up parking meters for fun because there's nothing better to do, <laughs> wow. right? but you're also not overwhelmed with options and a city that never sleeps like a New York. So I can see that, but I do think guys underestimate how bored beautiful women are hmm. certainly in rural areas, almost definitely in suburban areas and probably also even in urban areas based on what you talked about people not really being able to connect and the rat race is just too much and I'm exhausted. I just want to pour an apple teeny and go to sleep if I'm a woman, you know, that kind of thing. Most guys have been taught, especially in the last decade, that beautiful women are always being jetted off to Tahiti on private jets by billionaires. They have plenty to do. They're being taken out by suitors who have billions of dollars one website I saw infamously said that this will allow you to date women who are nines and tens who are always reserved for movie actors and rock stars. Huh. It's like, wait a minute, hold on. There are so many more beautiful women who are sweet and adorable in this world than there are rock stars and billionaires and movie actors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, but men are conditioned to believe that women who they find desirable have way too much going on and they're going to have to break through this impenetrable barrier to even get their attention. I just don't think that's true anywhere. Really? It's not true. It's a myth. And I know this. I have a lot of uh, women that are very beautiful women that I work with and friends, certainly. And, you know, as women, we are hit on a lot. Yes. Um, but there are a lot of women that go out and they're gorgeous and they're intimidating to men. And they actually are not even getting dates because the men are thinking that they're going to be rejected. So that very beautiful woman is actually sitting at home alone and she could be going out with you. <laughs> That's yep, my message yep. to the guys. You kind of have to have the courage. Looks actually make it hard sometimes to connect. A lot of these women feel very objectified that men are just going after them for sex. So they're very guarded. There's an element of that too. So they might not have as many options as you think of. Average looking girls actually, I think have more options. Now listen up guys, because Rachel is corroborating information that I've given you on this show before. And this is coming from a woman. So that should be extra poignant to you. Average looking women getting more attention because the women who are truly stunning are already intimidating so many guys into thinking, oh, I can't get her, she's stunning. Those are the women who are actually sometimes easier to go out with because guys are just so intimidated by them. And perhaps even for reasons that aren't even her fault. I mean, she can't help that she's beautiful. Don't hate her because she's beautiful. She may be sweet and adorable and down to earth, but guys are still intimidated by her. Or God forbid she's a non-reactor. She just doesn't know how to express to guys as much interest as she might be able to. She's not as good at flirting or something like that. Those women are absolutely sitting home because guys don't have the balls to ask them out. 
And that does happen everywhere. So I wanted to make sure you guys heard that and that registered with you as coming from a woman, something very similar to what I've talked about in the past here on this show and in my newsletters. The other thing I want to underscore is kind of something you hinted at, but I want to go ahead and drop a hammer on it. And that's women don't want a man who's prettier than they are. Yeah, no, we don't want that at all. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, really devastatingly handsome guys who you think are getting all the women, women may like swoon over them and think they're wonderful and handsome. But in reality, once daily life kicks in, she's going to be thinking, my gosh, this guy's upstaging me in the looks department everywhere we go. And she wants to be the most beautiful person in that relationship. And that's why guys who are average looking, and I believe most guys are average looking, you know, I think maybe fewer than 5% of the guys out there are who women would classify as quote unquote gorgeous. Most guys, it's really about being an average looking guy and, you know, a sense of style and having your personality be charming and being a man of character and being certainly masculine in the way that turns women on makes all the difference. And by the way, guys, I've seen that time and time and time again with guys I coach. They come in as quote unquote average guys who aren't getting women. They don't have any plastic surgery. They don't have a face transplant. They don't even go to the gym and get buff or anything like that. It's all a matter of learning how to relate to women, being the big four man that I talk about. And the next thing you know, they're flooded with opportunity, you know, which we've talked about in this show could be a good thing or maybe not. But I know I'm raising my own hand. You've met me, Rachel. I am not, you know, Zach Efron, <laughs> but well, I am I who I am. You. you have a lot of charm and appeal. And I think that a lot of women would love an average looking type of guy, whether you consider yourself that or a lot of these guys listening consider their self that because the truth is women think that men who are really good looking are going to be players and are going to cheat on them. Mm -hmm. So if we want a monogamous relationship, we don't want the hottest guy in the room because yes, we want to be the pretty one, but we also want someone who's loyal and we're going to be worried about the opportunities that he's going to have if he's really that good looking. And to your point, it's all a learned skill for guys. I wasn't always the guy I am today. I had lots of failure with women who I found desirable because I was shy or I would say the wrong thing or what I call shyness-induced snobbery. I'm not going to give this woman the benefit of knowing that I'm interested in her unless she reject me. All those weird little mental games we play with ourselves enter into it, and guys end up not succeeding with women. But the truth of the matter is, the good news for every guy is that this is a learned skill. You can be a quote-unquote average guy, like almost all of us, and do better with women. Rachel, this has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, time is growing short here, so I want to make sure guys can learn more about you. You're a dating and relationship consultant and a matchmaker out of New York City, of course. And I set up a special URL, and that's www.thechickwhisperer.com front slash Russo. Let's go with Russo, R-U-S-S-O, because Rachel can probably be spelled 60 different ways for all I know. So R-U-S-S-O, like Russ with an O on the end. Although you don't look anything like a Russ. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> www.thechickwhisperer.com front slash Russo. And you can uh, find out all about Rachel. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been a fountainhead of information, which is a very good thing. Thank you. Thank you. And guys, another reminder that if you're not on my newsletter yet, go to www.thechickwhisperer.com and you will see a smiley picture of what Rachel Russo looks like in real life. I think most of you guys will think she's very pretty, and she is single, by the way. So I've just invited every guy who listens to this show to hit on you, Rachel. All right. Well, I'm I'm taking applications for a husband, and I am relocatable. That sounds so New Yorkish of you. (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, go to the show notes page at www.thechickwhisper.com. See what Rachel's all about. See what she looks like. Send her an application. (laughs) 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 And um, also make sure you sign up for the newsletter which will give you daily advice on how to get better with women, how to be a better man, fitness, uh, how to do better in your career. We're talking more and more about being location independent and experiencing the freedom you've always dreamed of. All of that is there for you when you sign up for my daily newsletter at chickwhisper.com. Until I talk to you again real soon, this is Scott McKay from San Antonio, Texas. Be good out there. The Chick Whisperer Podcast is copyright 2016 by X and Y Communications. All rights reserved worldwide. Be sure to visit www.thechickwhisperer.com for show notes. 
while you're there, sign up for the X and Y Communications newsletter. This is Ed Roy Odom speaking for the Chick Whisperer Podcast. 